This is The Yay, I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater, headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. We want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara, who I talked to today. Oh, yeah? What's up with Mal? I think she, uh, let me see, she came from... Just got back from, was it Guatemala? It was Guatemala. Guatemala. With with her boyfriend, Carmelo. I saw a photo. And and I was like, hey, you know, are the wedding bells chiming? She's like, well, no, not quite, but, you know, they're happy. No, they're very happy, and he's a wonderful guy. He is a fantastic guy. I I wouldn't just be saying that because we're, like, public. Yeah. I I, I really mean, I, I... enjoy him so much no, I oh that's right uh, we were in Candide together but no um, yeah mm-hmm. at the house last year right exactly so the 4th yeah, yeah. yeah July the 4th yeah no they're, they're, they're a fantastic couple and Mallory's smart she's not going to hook up with <laughs> any dude so she's uh, you she know she seems they, to have good taste they're, they're very very happy and he's past the what is it, the six month mark or the four month oh, mark oh they are <laughs> they're, they're in a couple of years at least exactly yeah. I don't know if uh, any of you guys we uh, we should introduce our guest uh, Troy, yes uh, Tony 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 Daniels, Daniels. <laughs> Hello. You are a local actor. Uh, you are now in um, the Maskers uh, play. Um, Compared, Compared to, what? to What by Judith Offer. Yes. Right. And uh, Tony, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. But I'm sure, you know, as, as men, I mean, have we, I mean, you're married. I think you're married. Are you married too, Tony? No. No, not yet. Okay. So. But I'm sure my parents have said, well, you know, like, uh, there's the, I don't know if it's called the four-month or the six-month itch or whatever, oh, but that, after four or six months, you'll, you'll know whether it's a relationship is serious or not. I don't know if your parents have ever <laughs> talked to you No, about I, that. I, I, at this point, I've seen too many. I, I've got a couple of friends who went through 30-year marriages, and one maybe was just short of 30 years, but one was like 30 years, mm-hmm. and then they suddenly broke up. So I no longer... I, if you like somebody, I'm happy for you. If y'all yeah. seem to be a good match, I'm happy for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Come back and talk to me in 10 years. That's we'll right. see where it's at. Yeah, I do wonder how, you know, you can have conversations with people, but sometimes you talk at people or you talk about, you know, like generic subjects, but you don't really know who a person is. And I, I wonder about these relationships where you could be with someone for 10, 20 years and still not know them. Well, no, but you also, especially if it's a healthy relationship, you both are growing. Right. Yeah. And you aren't always growing together. That's That can be a challenge. Right. Yeah. I have a friend who um, is now a, I don't know, long distance biker. I was going to say marathon, but it's mm-hmm. not quite the same concept. Yeah. But does um, long distance biking um, as their kids got out of high school mm-hmm. and... That suddenly meant she was spending hours and days doing this. Oh. And that's time apart. Yeah. And, you know, you start finding yourself going, hmm, I like what I'm doing, and this doesn't fit into my lifestyle anymore. So am I going to let go of the thing I'm liking, or am I going to move on in my life? And then you have the other person saying, wow, I didn't sign up for this. Right. (laughs) This is not the person... And now I'm, you know, it's like buyer beware, you know, uh, and so. Well, yeah. or you come to a new, if you're lucky, you come to a new agreement, a new arrangement and say, okay, that works for you and I'm going to make space for it. But the problem is when you make too much space, then you basically are going in different directions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was married young <clears throat> um, yeah. and, uh, you know, we, we grew up hard. We had 
totally amicable, wonderful, two wonderful children. And, Yay. But, uh, you know, just what you're talking about. Yeah, no, and and with the friends who've gone through that, I mean, I, I know two different high school friends um, who I watched. I watched them get married. I watched their kids grow up. I watched them get divorced. And both of them seem happier now. The I only know one ex, but that ex seems happier now. The kids are able to manage it just fine. And everybody's kind of like, things changed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, okay, I don't know that experience at all, and I hope I never live it. But I'm glad that you found yeah. a healthy way to approach it. Well, I think you're lucky, Normie, because you and Mara have sort of found each other as, you know, like beyond your, you know, you weren't young. and We, then got we married. were not young lovers, no. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I think there's an advantage to already having sold your oats and then you find someone, because how much can you change from, let's say, 50 to 60? Oh, I mean, actually, to be full disclosure, I just signed up for uh, counseling through the VA. And I said, do you do couples counseling? And part of it is just an age difference. Mm. I am seriously thinking about retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a word I try not to use anywhere near my yeah. house <laughs> because it just scares her. Well, wait a minute. Well, what do we need to do? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to flip those questions from the worried side to the, ooh, how do we want to do this? Ooh, because sure. for me, it's mm-hmm. coming. It's coming soon. Mm-hmm. And for her, it's maybe more than a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to think about it. And I'm like, okay, rather than let this become a point of friction, why don't we get some professional help mm-hmm. to help us find a vocabulary? Right. And make yeah. sure we're listening to each other. Because mm-hmm. I feel like right now... She's in one reality, and I'm in a different reality. And I'm like, not trying to fight with you, but we are not on the same page. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody needs counseling. I mean, yeah, I do. Talk it out, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And be honest with, right. with each other. A lot of, I think a lot of failed relationships are people who are pretending to be something that they're not, usually on behalf of the other person. Like, well, this is what she wants me to be. Well, or worse, you've just been doing that because that's who you thought you were. Right. And when you have to deal with that other person close, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, daily, you start asking yourself, is that really me? Yeah. Or can I let that go? Which can be weird. It's like, I've always thought I was this person. Maybe I don't need to be that person anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, as began, I mean, (laughs) I usually begin, how are you doing? (laughs) But we sort of jumped into it. So otherwise, Um, how's everything else going? Well, you know, Monday, um, Mime Troop show ended. Um... The uh, show at the Maskers, compared to what it has been up for, this is the third weekend. Right, right. Um, which means I have nothing to do. And yeah, suddenly my weeks are just open and scary. Um, I hope we will get a chance to talk a little more about, and you and I definitely want to talk more about, the James Baldwin Project. Yeah. Because that needs to heat up. And in fact, we have a date, um, <laughs> November 7th or 8th, whatever oh, that awesome. Monday is. Oh, same thing that we did. I thought that I would be finished because uh, it's been a hell of a whirlwind for me as far as just acting. I mean, mm-hmm. for someone who did not really audition for anything and had not planned on auditioning for anything this year, I've, I've been on three stages, mm-hmm. which has been really, really cool. So, and hey, and I thought, okay, well, that's it <laughs> this, well, after this run. Did you start the year with Baldwin? That's right, I did. So we, we <laughs> may bookend. We may bookend <laughs> right, your, uh, right. your ear. But no. yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, trying to think about that. Um, I've got another project. Um, I found out just like last year. Mm-hmm. 
I get this strange phone call. Do you remember this? This was about a month later, mm-hmm. but I had auditioned for a piece. I got called back, video, mm-hmm. call back. I sent in my video. They said, thank you very much. Didn't hear anything else. Hmm. I knew they were about to start rehearsals, and I was complaining about it at this mic. I yeah. was here going, I can't believe these people didn't call me. And I know they're getting ready to start rehearsals, and what the hell? Just let me know. Just why, why can't you? you know, yeah, yeah. You said you'd let me know. Let me know. <laughs> right. And within days, I got a phone call. Uh-huh. Hey, this is Randy. Have you been hearing any stories? I'm like, uh, no. Well, there's rumors going around. I want you to know what we're doing, just so you're clear on it. Yeah. Like, why are and you calling me? And they switched plays, didn't they? They flipped plays. Yeah. Um, meet John Doe, which was the play I auditioned for. They said, we're going to postpone that till next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do Great Expectations. So suddenly I'm doing three British dialects. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's been a long time since I've done dialect work, but fine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I ended up having a lot of fun. Well, I get a phone call a couple of weeks ago. Um, hey, so um, we were just talking production stuff, and the director said... That you said at the closing party for Great Expectations that you didn't know that you were cast in Meet John Doe. And I'm like, that is true. (laughs) Okay. And he said, so I figured I better call you and make sure you are available. You are still interested in it. And I'm like, again, first I'm hearing about it this year, but... Yes, I'm still interested, and yes, I'm still available. So I've got a gig for Meet John Doe, finally. Okay, they've got some communication issues. I mean, it's great, but geez, let somebody know. I, I think... Because you know, if you part booked it, something else, go ahead. Well, that was what they were calling about, was right. do you have something else booked? And I was like, no, like you, I feel like my year has been full, and I was kind of looking forward to... Not looking forward to, but I was going to be okay mm-hmm. if I didn't do anything for the next three months. Mm-hmm. I was going to be okay with that. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, no, 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 you're, you're going back into rehearsals in October. I'm like... Okay. Yes, I am. <laughs> hey, that is awesome. I and, mean, you know, that's music to any actor's ears. It's like, hey, you know, you know your cast, right? <laughs> well, and I don't feel like it's just you and me. I feel like I'm talking to other people who are also going, I'm getting a lot of calls right now. The yeah. woman who played my wife in the Mime Troop show yeah. said, I was kind of thinking I was maybe done with this. And they called her about that. Mm-hmm. And she was fabulous. She's a dream to work with. And I'm like, okay, y'all, y'all need to keep hiring this person. Yeah. Before you even call me, call her. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, I mean, you know, let somebody know. I mean, I, and I understand what happens on the back end uh, because you, you want to tie up the people that you want. And if they don't confirm immediately, you still have to hold on to the people who you may be your number two choice and all that stuff. It's sort of like a draft. Well, I think COVID also played a role in this yeah. because, so let's say they, they auditioned for show A. Yeah. They decide they're in production for the first show of their season. This was supposed to be the second show of their season mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, all the COVID protocols, all that stuff. Yeah. This is more than we're ready for. So instead of calling people back, mm-hmm. they're like, we maybe are changing, shifting gears, which is what happened. So mm-hmm. I think that just fell through the gap. Yeah. And similarly, they then said, you know, didn't set a date. They just said it was going to be there. And then finally, mm-hmm. it's a solid decision. And so now they're kind of scrambling to I get see. in touch. Yeah. Hopefully, it'll be the same crew that I did Great Expectations with. That'll be, that'll be amazing. Now, what company is this again? San Jose Stage Company. Very nice. Very nice. So there, there have been a couple of uh, current events. Obviously, the biggest something, one. <laughs> something happened this week? Yes. Um, the Queen is dead. And, uh, I'll, you know, of course, it's... For anyone to die, it's sad. 
I don't know why we prioritize other people's deaths than others, and I don't even know why there's still a monarchy, but she was... Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's the only issue I have with this. A 96-year-old, I'm like, just like with... And somebody compared it to Betty White. And I'm like, mm, yeah, well, no, because 96, yeah. 99, I'm For like, sure. yeah, when you get up in those numbers, there's a little part of me going, yes, yes, right. come on, yeah. 100, 100, 100. <laughs> I was very heartbroken when Betty White died. Yeah. The queen, not so much. I mean, <laughs> Me either. She had a good run. Yes, she did. She, she had a did. very, very good run. So 15 I, prime ministers, seven popes, 14 presidents. Got to that. have tea with Paddington Bear. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when, I mean, which is a very heartbreaking sure. video. You watch that because they only did that like a month or so ago. Oh, interesting. And yeah. Yeah. and it's cute, but now it's just real sad. Sure, sure. And I mean, World War Two. I mean, you know, her being—I uh, mm-hmm. think she was 21 years old, or whatever, however old she was. I think she was a teen yeah. when she got in the war. And being thrust into the political spotlight at such a very tumultuous time. I mean, I can't even imagine being right. in Britain during the Blitz, where you're about to be—you're bombed out. Right. You don't know if the Germans are going to come across. Right. And you know, take over what's going on. Right. And being a teenager and having to give speeches to lead your people. So, it's—it's. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have any Tony uh, any thoughts about the Queen. Well, not so much about the Queen. I mean, obviously, he's an amazing historical figure. And right. Dealing with Churchill and all that sort of stuff is, is fascinating. Yeah. But my phone's been blowing up, of course, with all the headlines and whatnot. And one one that popped up was, uh, you know, what what type of king do you think Charles will be? Oh, King Charles. My, yeah. My first thought was. I don't know, a meaningless figurehead that uh, <laughs> on a crumbling institution that, that <clears throat> drains hundreds of millions of pounds out of a teetering economy. But yeah. that's just my take on it. Right. You know? Yeah, no, no, no. And I totally agree. And people were saying, well, he shouldn't, he shouldn't call himself Charles III because there's history of Charles I and II. And I'm very good. good. On, I'm very good on American history, not so much on English history. I really don't right. even care. But, you know, Charles I, he got beheaded mm-hmm. and was taken over by the Commonwealth and Oliver Cromwell and the Reformation mm. period. Mm-hmm. And then Charles II took over, and he was a philander, a womanizer. Oh, wow. Not like today's monarchy. You know, today's monarchy is totally clean. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Andrew. So, <coughs> Andrew. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, honestly, I think they should – I would be so impressed if he would say, you know what? I'll be the last king. There would I, be no that would, kings. That is what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I, I think – and I think he's at an age – and a place in life where he could probably do that with some style. Wow. Sure. But, yeah. you know, is that a not holding is that even a, Is that even well, yeah. a thing? Just like the uncle did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Elizabeth's oh, uh, uncle yeah. is saying, Edward, I'm stepping down. Yeah, yeah, because he hooked up with Wallace Simpson, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, well, there's some ra- <laughs> I don't even know. When I bring the stuff up, I wonder, you know, what am I doing? So <laughs> I'm, I'm displaying... <laughs> The white privilege card. So this happened in Oklahoma. If you can look at the screen here, of mm-hmm. course, people on oh. the podcast can't see it. But the root showed. So there is a, it looks like a credit card, but it's fake. Mm-hmm. The white privilege card, I'm reading this off, trumps everything. Uh, good through death, member <laughs> since life, Carl Holder, Scott Free. So the context behind this is these are high school kids. white high school kids Mm -hmm. who printed this up and were handing it out to other kids to sort of troll minorities, troll Mm -hmm. black kids. And they thought it was for fun. Mm -hmm. And of course, the other kids uh, protested and walked out of their classrooms. And I think the big story is because this isn't just standard operating trolling. I mean, someone took out a lot of time and effort to get these plastic cards that Mm -hmm. look like credit cards 
print it out, and the number on here is 45, 45, 45. Oh, wow. Well, right. And it's so sick. I don't understand why this still happens, how this can still happen. You know, it's fascinating. I, I was just on a phone call earlier about talking about how <clears throat> there was a time in which you would know people for a long time and maybe not even really know their political leanings, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't matter. Yeah. But right. now it seems that, like, everyone's so deeply entrenched in all this stuff that it, it's – you know, you have to find out ahead of time. Like, where do you, where mm-hmm. are you on the on the spectrum? Because that will determine whether we can have a relationship or not. And that's, yeah. mm-hmm. I think that's just tragic. And it yeah, is. who who are your real friends? And, and to piggyback on that, Tony, um, a friend of mine who is acting in the play. It's only a play. He had some friends come to see the show, and they were told, "Hey, you got to wear a mask when you're uh, as an audience member." Mm-hmm. And they protested. They were like, "No, we don't want to wear a mask." And they tried to throw up this. Well, you know, science says that we're over this, and you know, we're we've been I don't know what they call immunized Except or whatever. Except that you. it doesn't. But okay, right. right, exactly. And basically, the ushers had to throw them out. And um, the good friend of mine and I asked him last night. I was like, "So, did you know this about them prior to you inviting them?" Not that I was accusing him of anything, but it's like. These are the moments where you know who your true friends are, where they really, really stand, mm-hmm. because you have moments, political moments like this, which sort of make people cross the Rubicon. It's like, wow, I thought I knew who you were. Yeah. Now I really know who you are. Right. Yeah, I, I really do hope that we get back to a, well, a, a politics based on issues and on consensus. Mm-hmm. You know, I may have strong feelings about this, but I need to work with you in order for us to create a community that we can all live in. Yeah. Not the, we're in power, we're going to make you do it our way. Right. You know, that's interesting. I mean, do you, because there are people who are like, you know, I need to turn the other cheek. Someone has other political views that I do, mm-hmm. but I still have to work with this person. Or someone can say, you know what? I'm not going to normalize what you're doing. I'm going to call you out on it, and I'm not going to be a friend anymore. Mm. It's, it's You're either one or the other. I mean, Troy, how right. do you feel about that? I'm sorry, Tony. Tony, that's <laughs> fine. I can be Troy for this, <laughs> that's for this okay. podcast. Tony, no, 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 no. I'm an actor, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, Tony Daniel. No, well, go ahead. Um, well, I think you know this white privilege card is sort of interesting because it's emblematic of this idea that people are just on this either-or spectrum where right. – that exists because people are like, no, white privilege doesn't exist, so we're going to troll you with this concept. But rather than, you know, conversation is sort of the only means that we have to get anywhere, without right. co- and mm-hmm. whether it's with ourselves or with other people. So um, the idea that, I mean, you that card means that we've lost all nuance in this discussion, right? There's no, right. Mm-hmm. there's no engage. Whether, you know, you can have legitimate yeah. feelings about this concept of white yeah. privilege. And we're talking about children. We're talking about 17, 18-year-olds. Right, right. Actually, in uh, 15, 16, 17-year-olds mm-hmm. whose minds are still, I mean, I forget what they say when the brain is, is fully functioning. I mean, 25. Yeah, 25 is when you are, um, you know, when you when the brain has finished, what do they call it? Um, developing, finished, forming. Develop, developing, yeah. yeah, thank you. So there's still time for these kids to say, hey, listen, this is a teaching moment. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. This is why you need to know you're wrong. I mean, I work in law enforcement. I work for the district attorney's office. Hmm. And we don't charge kids, or we charge kids, but we try to put them in programs because we know, hey, you may have committed something really, really heinous, but what you do at 15 can be different from what you are when you're 25. Mm -hmm. This can be a teaching moment. So I'm wondering, it's not so much about the kids, in my opinion. It's about the parents. What are they being taught in the homes Mm -hmm. that they can get away with this? 
They, they can feel this is normalized. They, yeah, they, yeah. Oh, no. It's, and it's weird because you get to this age and you start going, those kids. And you're like, ooh, wait a minute. I remember when people <laughs> used to say that about us. I'm not, I'm not comfortable being in this position. Yeah. And I felt, that I, I felt like I was an adult when I was 15. Right. I was like, I got a little bit of knowledge. Right, I, know, right. I, I, I can handle the world now. So that tells you something about their mindset. Yeah. So um, I don't know. The other thing that popped up this week in the news was, um, oh, gosh, what was it? It was about the draft. Um, American oh, no. Go ahead. Um, and it was a nice little, I think it was NPR story, uh, mm-hmm. where so the military is having trouble recruiting. And there's a big pushback on the student loan debt um, forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness of debt, yeah. Yeah, um, because they're worried. That was one of the things that the military depended on. People who were in debt would join the military. It's like, oh, it's not an incentive. You know, Biden's done it, so I don't need to join the military. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, But also, we've just gotten to a place where we're probably less healthy than we've been in a long time. Yeah. So they're having trouble recruiting people. They're having trouble, even the folks that are interested in coming in, passing Mm -hmm. them, Mm -hmm. either on the simple test... um, you know, IQ test or the um, physical test. test yeah. yeah. So what they've done is a sort of pre-boot camp. Yeah. And a thing to kind of help them prepare for the test. And they are doing better because of both those things. Yeah. I thought that was what ROTC, ROTC was all about. Well, that's but that's officer. And oh, I so see. that's okay. not the main bulk of the military. And I heard that and I immediately said, you know what? If we could come up with a fair draft, I'd be all about that. And I'm a pacifist. So for somebody like me, I'd say, well, can I sign up for like um, California forestry and I can, you know, become mm-hmm. a weekend warrior sure. helping fight right. fires. Right. Sure. If I lived in tornado country, do that. Yeah. 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 Right. Something cool. like cool. that. Cool. But to cool. make National, it a requirement for all yeah. young men, we just want to make sure that the rich kids don't just get to opt out. That that. Things needs to be taken off the table, right? But I'd be all for this, and yeah. it's weird because I am a vet and I am a pacifist, but I do believe that young people need. Yeah. Th- I think one of the, the things that is so yeah. appealing to some of these folks that are getting on the fringe is they have no sense of who they are or what is important, what it is they need to do, and they're looking for a cause. Yeah, bam, they get given this, and they're like, ah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Because, you know, Kennedy talked about this when he introduced the um, the Peace Corps. Yeah. An opportunity to serve your your people and not necessarily serve by defending your country and getting an AR-15 and, you know, right. shooting the, you know, somebody in another country. But building homes, you know, being a part of Habitat for Humanity or whatever, yeah. having an opportunity. I think there's all kinds of ways. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, one, so there were two other things. This is actually, uh, I try to squeeze a funny thing in here. I learned a new word today. I uh, learned a word this week. Oh, Splooting. I, I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Splooting. Have you know. seen it? Because I haven't seen it yet, I but I've seen it all over. I have seen the- it. Oh, God. <laughs> if you ever seen, if, if you uh, look, if you, if you Google splooting, for those in who's listening to this podcast, uh, you may see a picture of a squirrel squat now, all Now, come fours. on. This is a family program. Don't go, don't go there. <laughs> And apparently, it's been there's been a massive heat wave all through the United States. I would, I would mm-hmm. argue throughout the world. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there was right. an article that Salt Lake City, Salt Lake, is running out of water. It's about to go, yeah. And even in Greenland, there's a um, an ice cap that is melting and yeah. it's raising. Permafrost the, is is going. Yeah, yeah. So there's some serious things going on. 
and it's affecting the squirrels. And so in order to, I guess, dissipate the heat or to get rid of the heat, mm-hmm. they're just lying on all fours on the ground <laughs> as if they're dead. Right. And this is splooting. Okay. So, yes. Uh, it's funny, but it's also sad. I do wonder about climate change. I, every time I see these stories, I'm like, do I need to be worried? Is this, am I in the middle of a Twilight Zone episode where <laughs> the next day it's going to be 120 degrees and then 130 and then oh, that the one. sun yes. is going to, you know, the midnight sun. That's one of my favorite Twilight mm-hmm. Zone episodes. So I have no idea what to be worried about or not. Well, what I loved is like the most positive spin I've heard on this is that our eyes may save us. Because they're wired into our nervous system. Mm-hmm. So when things don't look right, yeah. we have a visceral reaction. Now, if you remember the wildfires a few years ago when we had an inversion layer yeah. and it just sat here in the Bay Area and the sky was orange. I remember that. Mm-hmm. We freaked. Well, yeah. there were pictures. I saw this in an article earlier this year. Um, there were pictures of some of these horrible storms in the Midwest. The sky was green. Oh, God. And the clouds were blue. I don't, Not white. Like, it was weird the way that configuration was. And they said, when people see that and you suddenly say, this is because of climate, you know, a climate crisis and we need to do something, people are going to listen. Yeah. (laughs) Let's hope. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, like I said, I mean, and it's hot right now, but um, that's why I have the uh, screen door open. (laughs) So if you hear uh, the train and outside Uh, traffic or whatever. We're used to the train. It is what it is. Uh, so yeah, so there's that, and I have no idea whether to be worried about it or not. I mean, are you are are you afraid, Tony, or are you? I mean, as far as no, I'm I'm definitely afraid, and, and clearly the these changes are afoot, and I worry about my kids and yeah, and what the future is going to be like, uh, for sure. And it feels you know it's one of those things that feels hopeless. You know, there's we have all these climate summits, and people agree to make these changes, but it seems like mm-hmm. I don't know we're on the we're on the toboggan downhill oh right (laughs) yeah and one last thing and i'll just hit it and you know if we want to talk about it fine Mm. if not whatever but i was looking at a cnn had a special report on what they call christian nationalism i haven't heard about this Mm -hmm. have you heard about this so this is and i've talked at nauseam about the religious right and the fourth great awakening and televangelism and the unholy alliance between um the church and state um that a lot of um politicians want but it's, you know, now this new language, Christian nationalism. So Lauren Bobert and um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, these are uh, members of the House. These are the extreme Republicans saying that there needs to be a connection between the church and the state. And we can't have this separation. And they're saying that America is a Christian country. Now, I'm a Christian. I'll, I will mm-hmm. freely admit that. And I think I've admit that beforehand. But I do not believe that we should push christianity on those who are not christian those who are muslim those who are jewish those who are agnostic they're still americans as well Mm -hmm. and our founding fathers explicitly said there should be a separation between church and state that's one of the reasons why many of them left england anyway to separate themselves from the um, the anglican state and you know king george iii and instead we hear that there is this and i hate people talking about conspiracy theories but this is this is documented that these folks have very strategically aimed at getting more political power with the idea of turning this into a Christian nation and everybody else be damned. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Now, uh, Tony, I don't know your political aspir- you know, affiliation or all that sort of stuff, but did, did life change for you socially or whatever when Trump was elected and you know, even after Trump has left, it feels like he's still around. I mean, there's such polarization 
that's happening and it's affecting people's you know friendships and even the shows that we do as actors you yeah know, are yeah it's it's just been this massive wedge like an asteroid from space i feel yeah. like this exasper- exacerbated all the simmering divisions that were that were present there so yeah it's definitely i think i think life in, in on the planet has changed because of trump mm-hmm. yeah so that's for sure and this whole christian nationalist thing that's just one you know one additional tendril of this whole i don't know what what you call the movement you know at the at the greatest level of discontented white people in america mm-hmm. but yeah it's 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 scary and i you know I, i'm an atheist but i and i feel like i feel like the us is you know is by and large a christian nation at its you know Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm I'm all about the separation of church and state. But these people aren't, you know. I mean, these mm-hmm. they want to explicitly wed these things together. And I, I think, you know, if you look around the world, countries that are founded or based on religion, yeah, that's where freedom goes away. Right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Right. Regardless of what the religion is, whether it's you know Muslim or I think in India, you know, there's Hindi. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, I have a friend from India, and she says, yeah, and she's a Christian, and she says a Modi is really pushing away the um, the Islamists and there are those who are Buddhists and, you know, uh, and it's become an issue there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, I mean, America has always been about freedom and you can't have freedom if you have one group of people having their rules or mm-hmm. the way they, their way of life mm-hmm. imposed upon other people. Well, right? it's not democracy. Yeah, right. exactly. And the whole Roe v. Wade thing, I mean, that's really just religious at its core yeah right? exactly this isn't a you know a deeply philosophical and it's the, weapon, it's, and it's the weapon, weaponization right. of religion right and it, it really offends me as a christian you know the bible should never be used to be weaponized against people right. to hurt people i do i'm happy to hear more christians speaking out so yeah that gives me hope and i'm happy to hear the more stories that reveal exactly what these connections are between mm-hmm. these folks that are trying to promote their agenda. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, I mean, this is not the platform for it, but I, I'm thinking about reviving uh, some of them. Um, uh, I used to have another podcast that would talk about this, so we'll see. But in any case, Tony Daniel, yeah. let's get an origin story. Where were you born and raised, and how did the theater bug bite you? Well, let's see. Born in Seattle, Washington. Wow. Yay! Right on. Indeed. Uh, raised north of there in a little town called Snohomish, and then later a town called Marysville, right on the I-5, heading up toward Canada. Okay. Mm-hmm. Siblings? Um, I have half brothers and half okay. sisters, uh, sort of a, one of these modern family configurations. Okay. But I was I was raised an only child. Okay. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, theatrically, I think it really became. <clears throat> you know, I'm coming late, really. I think to the theater. I did. I did some acting in high school. Oh, what'd you do? I played. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, I played Doctor Diafru in Moliere's *The Imaginary Invalid*. Wow! Which you know, even though it's a it's a sort of a raucous comedy, it was mm-hmm. a little heady for a high school. Student. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with the high school, whoever the theater department was. Yeah, it's a heavy thing to bring to. These and they would do a big, you know, a big musical in the main theater, and then we did this in a, a smaller space in the round, and I, that mm-hmm. was quite an experience. For in me. the round, yeah. Oh, baby, right, yeah. And uh, but that 
time, I was much more interested in being like a heavy metal guitar player. I was in a band. <laughs> right on. You know, get more girls well, that way. Seattle grunge. I yeah, mean, right. Where, did you grow up with Kurt Cobain and all that stuff? Yeah, I grew up in the '80s, and I was sort of on the other. I was there was a there was a split. There you had the grunge on the one side, and then you had us true like thrash metalers on the other oh, side. Oh right, so okay. Yeah. There was a little. I gotta bit figure of out what the difference between the two. I don't know the difference between the two. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that, that's another podcast. But yeah, no, it's <laughs> yeah. But and I also did a lot of public speaking for for whatever reason. I don't know wow. why. I was always the guy that that gave you know the, the talk at the Veterans Day assembly, and I was just the you know, MC for homecoming, and I gave a speech at graduation, that sort of thing. So Damn. public speaking was something I did quite a bit. And that, you know, so there was all that there. Mm-hmm. And if you ask my kids, you know, I'm overly dramatic all the time. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I've always appreciated the theater. <coughs> and um, <coughs> I worked in film for a number of years, although I didn't act at all. It didn't even cross my mind for some reason. What did you do in film? I worked in uh, script development. They call, you know, oh, nice. I worked for, for So you're a writer? I'm not a writer, but I'm one of those people who would tell writers how to write, which okay. is part of the problem with Hollywood. Okay. Um, uh. So part of what's broken about that system. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, then a couple years ago, my kids have grown up doing the theater. Both of my kids are, are, are theater geeks. Yeah. How, how old are they? Uh, my oldest is 19. She's just started uh, college, and my youngest is, is 14. She's just uh, a freshman in high school. Very, mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. So they had been doing these musicals for years and years, local community theater musicals, and had been asking, and with their mother as well, and had been asking me to come do this, come do this. You know, every year they would do like a Christmas carol together. Mm-hmm. And they finally, finally roped me into doing that after trying for a long time. And I was, you know, townsman number five, and, you know, over <laughs> this, you know, played like five different roles or whatever, but it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then I, I did another one, and and just sort of like, Decided up and maybe you know, I got a lot of positive feedback, so I thought, you know what, maybe I'll just try and audition a little yeah. bit. And so did some of that, and, and, and Norman saw saw something here, and um, oh, happily. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of the weird the weird pathway to where I am at this moment. Yeah. So did you see a flyer? I mean, did you know? I, I know you live close to where the Maskers is. Did mm-hmm. you see a flyer in your audition? Is that how you got connected? Y- yep. You know, searching online and. Mm-hmm. Finding places that were reasonably local, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that just you know timing worked out, why you know that sort of thing. So yeah, I've talked ad nauseum about uh, actors who um, sometimes you you become a better actor if you've had some life experiences. Like I know for myself, I graduated you know with uh, undergrad learning, having studied undergraduate drama. Mm-hmm. But then I took like maybe nine, ten years just not doing any acting at all, not mm-hmm. doing any theater at all. And then I spent another couple of years just doing stage managing and just backstage stuff. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got back on the theater, I felt that I had some life experiences that I can bring. And I think that, you know, there's a difference between those actors who right out of school jump into it mm-hmm. and the actors have some life experience. Have you, you've noticed the same thing, haven't you, Norman? Well, what I'm noticing more than anything is just I want people to I want people to just sort of accept that you are who you are right. and when you walk in the door that's what they see. And so either they're in a mindset to consider you or they're not. Mm-hmm. And rather than beat yourself up about oh I could have been better, you know, I remember once going to an audition and uh, it was a big cattle call, mm-hmm. and I'm driving up past the entry to the theater, 
and there's a parking lot on the other side. So I'm driving up this hill, past this door, and then going down. And I see who I think is my buddy. So I like toot and I wave. I get parked. I walk back up there. This is not my buddy. This is my buddy, like, plus. <laughs> He's a little bit taller, inch or two taller, a little bit thicker in a good way. Mm-hmm voice is just a little bit better than my buddy's he just seems like he seems like my buddy plus he's Mm -hmm. like wow and i thought oh my god poor rico (laughs) if this guy is ever around they're always gonna hire that guy (laughs) rico anderson yeah there you go it wasn't rico though okay um and and that's what i'm saying it wasn't rico it was some other guy and i'm like who the hell are you i see And I thought, poor Rico, because here's this guy. But now what I recognize is Mm -hmm. you don't know when you walk in the door. Yeah, that other guy might be taller, more handsome, deeper voice, all of that. They might not be looking for that. They might be looking for the other thing. So Mm -hmm. just just accept it. Yeah, you can't beat yourself up for what you're not. And you have no idea what's in the director's minds as far as what their concept is. And they may have a concept, and then you blow their minds. And you're like, you know what? I've got to change. Yeah, I've been thinking about this, too, because I've got a couple of auditions coming up. Oh, yeah. Maybe this is part of having life experience. But I'm you know, bringing sort of a non-attachment idea to this. Mm-hmm. To this, and it's like I, I bring what I'm. I bring what I bring. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I am who I am. Yeah. If that matches up with their, you know, with their ideas and expectations, or or maybe sparks something they hadn't thought of, then that, then great. Otherwi- right. Otherwise, then it's you know it's not the right fit. It's their call, and, mm-hmm. and right. That's, that's, there's that. Yeah, and we bring <laughs> it up because there are some actors who are like, oh, geez, you know, I just don't know. It, it, usually, it's in the rehearsal process where the director is saying, well, you know, I need you to go here or whatever, and they're right. like, oh my god, I'm getting beat up because they don't like what I'm doing or something like that, and maybe I should be this. You know, mm-hmm. us actors, we are very sensitive, right? And so we always want the pat on the head, or if we are, you know, we're always checking ourselves. You know, are we? Do we fit the physical this or that or whatever? Well, and I'll be honest about it. Mm-hmm. I read Snotty as an older man, mm-hmm. and I thought of him as you know a little gnome of a man. Mm-hmm. And this is audio, but Tony is Tony is not. Tony is a large man. He's yeah. tall. He's big. Mm-hmm. He takes up space. And I had to think about it and go, Yeah, hmm. and this is the character <laughs> to, compared this, to what? Right, the character in in um, in compared to what is uh, Snotty is the booking manager for the railroad. Okay. The regional guy, yeah, and um, and he's the antagonist in the show, yeah. Um, which I, I, I want to spend some time I talking always, always about too. I feel bad for white guys who are in a black play. <laughs> well, that's I definitely want to come back to that, but yeah, yeah, I just was like, oh, I hadn't thought of this, mm-hmm. but he was so comfortable. You were just so comfortable, just being who you were, and I was like. That'll work. That'll make me very happy. But yeah, then the next thing is that we talked about the race thing. And it's so funny. Even Judith, I am pushing on this. The playwright, Mm -hmm. I am pushing on this. Because Judith told me the number one thing about this play, it's titled Compared to What? It's a question. Yeah. And she said every character in the story has their struggles. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you can identify with one character and go, oh, gosh, I hope they get what they want. But that doesn't negate the fact that everybody else is also dealing with their struggles. And maybe not everybody's going to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started talking from almost day one. I'm like, I do not want this to be a two-dimensional villain. I don't. So I want to see that he has his struggles. And I want to see that he has his triumphs. <laughs> and we do. We, mm-hmm. we have some wonder. I don't want to spoil anything in the show, but we have some wonderful moments where you get to see these other colors. 
So yeah, I'm I'm definitely curious to hear what you have to say about it. But that was I was like, dude, yeah, you're a white guy. I'm a black guy. That doesn't mean I don't do bad things. It doesn't mean you don't do bad things. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't fail and we don't succeed. We are who we are. How can we make this guy more specific? Right? Yeah. It's funny. Uh, I will, just to piggyback on that. Yeah. So last, was it last night? Um, no, I think the night before. A good friend of mine, Dan Wilson. You know Dan Wilson. Yeah, of course. Redhead. He, he's back in town. Okay. Because he's doing one of the last shows at the exit. Uh, he's oh, one of the okay. fringe things. Mm-hmm. But I think of him because he played John Wilkes Booth when we did Civil War Christmas. Right. Mm. And we were making the joke, oh, you know, we were doing a black play and here's this white guy. You know what that means. Right, <laughs> wink, right. Wink. But, um, but just like that, compared to what is a period piece. And yeah. so you're playing, I mean, what was it like? What is it like playing this antagonist in a period piece, which is important? Mm-hmm. And... I'm sure Judith has made sure, I don't know what the character is, but I'm sure you're not just the one-dimensional, you know, evil guy. Mm-hmm. Well, but, most uh, of the images that we get of him are pretty pretty in that vein. Yeah, yeah. but but how, how has it been, doing the role? Well, it's, it's interesting. It, it's, first of all, it's an important story. Yeah. And we were talking before a little bit about how the Pullman story is not being told enough. Exactly, exactly. But it's, also, it's nuanced, too, because um, there are Pullman as a company and people should look it up yeah. uh, is 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 often credited with uh, helping to create the black middle class right mm-hmm. so in some ways the the guys who are working for this train car company were on their way up mm-hmm. in in ways that some other uh, categories of of people weren't right um and yet we're talking about a time i mean and many would argue this is it's still this way but when institutional racism was was just the american way right right, right. yeah but in terms of my character, I think there's also other layers as well. I mean, he's he's a guy who's who's watching this happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not where he wants to be in his life. Right. Yeah. He's seeing people that are maybe better at saving and better at you know moving up in the world than yeah. he is. Yeah. And you know, they, some of them happen to be black, and that's that can be problematic for him. And right. Um, so I think in a way, we talk about his struggles. Mm-hmm. It's 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 watching a world change. And maybe his place in it feels more tenuous mm-hmm. than otherwise it might. And and I think that's kind of, you know, I try to draw some of that out, too, because it's, you know, it's a source of frustration and also, you know, kind of a hammer that, that gets wielded by the character. Do you remember the first, what was the first reference I gave you for, for Snotty? Yeah, it was Iago. Yep. Um, oh, interesting! Wow. Yeah, and that yeah, and that so he just he blew my mind with that one. So I went <laughs> and watched a bunch of Othello. Now, now obviously I feel like I've got Niago in me at some point in this career. So hey, I'm, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what is interesting, and we've talked a little bit about this, uh, not so much in Four Men, but uh, all, but in just Richard Wright's writings, mm-hmm. especially. Um, oh, what was his uh, 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 the collection of short stories, Uncle Tom's Children? Yes. Where you have not only black people who are disenfranchised, but mm-hmm. poor white people right. who are disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things, things where, you know, let's say if you oppress one group of people, they oppress another group of people. Right. Because it becomes secular. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that perhaps your character, he may be maligning black people, but he feels maligned himself. Right. You know, everyone looks mm-hmm. at themselves as a yeah. victim one way or another. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, I mean, he, he is probably 
MAGA country all day long, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what those people are like. They've, yeah. they've, they're like, white privilege, what are you talking about? I live in a trailer and I can't, right. I can't make ends meet. Right, exactly. And they start pointing fingers and they start doing things. You know, well, he are, says in a number of times in the show, he says, that's got nothing to do with me. I just do my job. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's, you know, he does milk the system a little bit, but at the end of the day, he, he's not trying to kill these people. He, right. They, he relies on them to do good work yep. to keep his life going. And he's, or to even put them down. He's, he's not needing to put them down. He knows that he needs to work yeah. with mm-hmm. them. And I imagine you have a boss, too, or your character has a boss. Yeah, yeah. We, we hear about it, but we never really see right. it. Right. Yeah. He's kind of in this, this little corner of the, the rail yard. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yep. Now, how's it been getting back onto theater, having 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 uh, been away from it for such a long time, mm-hmm. knocking off the old uh, dust per well, se? Well, for me, it's just it, and this sounds trite and mm-hmm. cliche, but it's just an absolute privilege mm-hmm. walking into the theater, and it's just a very good use of time, mm-hmm. and it's just fulfilling every night, not every moment, but definitely moments it's like i can't i can't believe i'm even doing this in rehearsals i was like i can't believe i'm sitting here with these people doing this thing mm-hmm. and it so i i continue to feel that Good. um so that's you can see it tony walks in and tony is just like hey hey <laughs> yeah what are we doing tonight i know yeah. it's 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 it is it, privilege is the right word now let me ask you this question norman um mm-hmm. For actors who, let's say it's their first time, sometimes there could be some trepidations like, oh my goodness, this person has to, how, how, how much hand-holding do I have to do with this person, you know, as far as lateral? Well, but that's, that's true always. And, yeah. and to me, actually, what's harder, because number one, what I'm going to do is try and meet you wherever you can, whatever you bring to me, mm-hmm. I'm going to try and say, oh, this is what I've got to work with and I'm going to work with it. Yeah. I find actually when you get to the diva end of the spectrum, that becomes harder because you know that when it comes to doing the work, this person is capable of it, but they require so much resource. They require you. so much attention, so much support. Yeah. And instead, what I, for me, it always comes back to the text. And again, I'm happy to hear your perspective on it. But for me, it always comes back to the text. What is the story trying to say? What is the story trying to do? What is this moment trying to be? So, like, um, I don't know if you get to see it at all, but Seamus is uh, the tie scene. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if on the page, the tie scene is about teaching a young man how to tie a tie. Huh. I mm-hmm. have made it about a man trying to light a cigarette. Okay. And I was so happy last night because he actually got the match lit. Okay. And I was like, yay. And the only thing is I have to give Jake a note of, you've got to be paying attention because as soon as that match lights, you need to say, is this right? Like, you have to hit it instantly. Otherwise, he's got to light that cigarette in this small theater. <laughs> and I just wanted them to worry about it. He pulls it out top of the scene or early in the scene, and mm-hmm. he just keeps getting distracted and keeps not getting it lit Mm. and then there's finally the moment where i want him to strike that match yeah and then jake says is that right and he says oh yeah and he puts it down and he walks over and deals with them and says man i'm tired i'm gonna go to bed (laughs) (laughs) this is this reminds me because part of the process that is so amazing yeah has been to watch norman do this stuff yeah um and i from my film background, I mean, film's always considered a director's medium and, and sort of the old cliches in that theater is a writer's medium. Right. Mm-hmm. 
so I came in with that idea. But th- he brings things off the page that I'm sure, with all respect to Judith, she probably never imagined. Yeah. Right. And levels of nuance, even just the slightest bit of blocking that changes everything. And so it, it's all about the director at that point. And it's really it's just been an education to watch. Well, and what the actor can and can't do. Mm. We had a shift in he, a lot of his stuff takes place in his little office. Mm. And we had a very bare, minimal set for that. And we had blocked it with an idea of an entrance that suddenly was not going to work. And I was like, y'all, y'all are killing me. I, and then I, I thought about it. It just took me an evening to really reconsider the whole thing. And then poor Tony, we're like getting ready for run-throughs. And I'm like, so I'm changing what you're doing here. And there are these moments that the audience will never know about. If you ever see them, it's mm-hmm. because you're paying attention to something you shouldn't be paying attention to. <laughs> yeah. But Tony had to learn that. And I'm like, here's the deal. I don't want them to see this. I just want you to know you need to do it so that you're ready for the next scene. And without giving anything away. Um, and that, But it was a total shift in all of his entrances yeah. and exits. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them, right? And you didn't panic, right? You just did Oh, it. he looked like he panicked. <laughs> I was, it was, you know, I had an idea about the way things were going to go. And then yeah. this, this whole production has been interesting because, you know, we, we didn't have a cast member get COVID or whatever and didn't get some way to halfway through. And then there were mm-hmm. changes in the script as yeah. well. So there yeah. were, I was like, okay, I'm holding on, you know, trying right. to do yeah. my little piece here. But, <clears throat> but no, it's, it's worked out fine, though. No, that's fantastic. I love those I, the, those sponta- those spontaneity or spontaneous things that happen, whether you want it to happen or not, because it adds something. One of the one of the worst things about theater, or I would say bad theater, is when you see something over and over and over again. Well, yeah. as an actor, it just becomes rote. You just don't want it to be predictable. So I would say to you, what is what what would you say is one of the craziest things that you saw happen in this process? Um, well, from for me, um, you know, moving. We we moved the place I was doing some of my scenes mm-hmm. out kind of to the audience. Mm-hmm. So that required a whole a completely different approach to the way I was doing this. Because before, I was much more comfortable. Was I was behind, I was a, behind desk. a desk, right? <laughs> I was protected. Mm-hmm. Right. Now I'm out. You know, people can look right up my nose. And, and so... Uh, and last night, you had a special guest at the bar. <laughs> There's one audience, bar scene. Did an audience member come up? This... <laughs> little old lady uh-huh. apparently needed to stretch her legs so she oh. stepped up and she was on the edge uh-huh. of the aisle so it was no big deal she just stepped up and she leaned against there's a little wall there yeah she leans against a little wall that's where this scene takes place <laughs> yeah. so these two guys suddenly are <laughs> arms up over the rail right next to her and she's standing there so she looks like she's part of the scene <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if I had known earlier, I would have brought her a drink as well. <laughs> and they didn't miss a beat. I loved it. Awesome. It's really cool. Yeah, and there was, and he also, Norman added a couple what we're calling interscenes yeah. that kind of flesh out what my character is moving a lot of the action forward. So yeah. a lot of the things yep. that I do are, are triggering either responses or actions in the rest of the cast. So he helps that along by adding a few things that, that add a little more dimension, a yeah. little more meat to that narrative. And it really was just to help with some scene shifts where they were back-to-back scenes in the house, but time was supposed to have passed. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, let's do a little thing where you get ready to go to the bar. 
Yeah. yeah. Let us see that. Right. I think that's a normal spe- Norman specialty. <laughs> yeah, it is. Not in the script, but, you know, you're just going to add a little uh, addendum thing. Right. Well, and this is where I appreciate having the playwright in the room because yeah. I can say, is that all right? Is yeah. Does that significantly change the way you conceive the character and the arc of what we're doing? Mm-hmm. No, no, that is that is awesome. So, uh, Tony, I mean, where do you see yourself... Um, you say you're auditioning for other things. I mean, do you uh, do you aspire to do other things here in the Bay Area? Do you want to, I don't know, go to L.A. or whatever? I mean, what, what do you mm-hmm. see yourself as an actor? Well, um, I consider myself on the path to becoming a, a serious hobbyist. Okay. So, mm. um, yeah, I would like to, I'd like to basically be doing something you know, quarterly or whatnot. I could see two, three plays a year would be, would be awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... And then other things, just you know, I, you know, we we're talking a little bit about voiceover stuff, and that might That's be interesting. Right. And and um, you know, I like to use my voice, and I like to, you know, it would be nice to to explore that. Yeah, we got to get you hooked up with Kim Donovan because she, along with an actress, she has her own recording studio, right? And she's been a connector of voiceover actors mm. for doing radio plays and also commercials and things like that, yeah, video, video games, games as well. Yeah. Oh, right, right. So I could definitely hook you up with her. And she can listen to the podcast, you know, to hear your voice and all mm-hmm, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, so that's cool. What's your day job? Do you have a day job? I work in the cannabis industry. All right. Hey, right. hey. You're like the second <laughs> we or third didn't person know we've this? had on here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, right now I'm between projects. But for the last eight years, I worked at a, a laboratory that does uh, chemical testing to make sure that, that mm-hmm. the products are safe to go onto the market. Right. So okay. not selling bongs or anything. Sort of the other, more on the regulatory side right. of the issue. No, no, no. It's yeah. very cool. It's, it's interesting how the cannabis industry, once it's become legalized, well, it's becoming creating industry, all yeah. these um, industries and all these professions. So it's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I imagine, have your family seen the show? Are they? Yeah, yeah. And, and they've been very supportive. That's and, awesome. Um, my youngest was very sweet. She's like, yeah, I thought the story was really great, but I just love seeing my dad on stage. Right on. <laughs> that was that nice. is really, really cool. <laughs> you, you haven't been getting any blowback from the audience? God, was it opening where you got booed? I there get, was one night. I, oh, get, no. I take the boos and hisses as a, as a badge of honor. I get, they are. I get booed pretty regularly. Um, <laughs> But you know what? It's funny because uh, last night after the show, uh, a woman came up to me and she said, you know what? I, I, I come from Alabama. Mm. And hearing you say the things you said just brought so much up in me. Mm. Um, and for her, that was, a, you know, it was there was sort of a cathartic thing to it. And that, yeah. I think that's important. And we do, you know, we don't shy away. I use the N-word twice in this play. And, yeah. it, and it... it, it one time it drops a little heavier than the other, but it's, it's right. still, yeah. you know, we we had a discussion about whether to, you know, how, whether to do that or not. Yeah, yeah. how to approach it. Good, good for Judith. I mean, because as a writer, a lot of writers may shirk away from that because like, oh, it's too, too much or whatever, especially white writers who want to be polite and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And I'm like, listen, this is what happened in the past. Let, let's put it down. Well, and let it be normal. Yeah. You know, it's a moment of frustration for him. He hears this guy's got an automobile and he's like, automobile. <laughs> you people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And and it's a neat little moment. But yeah, it's got a one, you don't have to do much I love things that you don't actually have to do much work. Mm-hmm. You just have to serve it out there and the audience is gonna go, mm. Yeah. Like, because their own personal <laughs> experience can take it. Yeah. yeah. You don't have yeah. to push it at yeah. all. Yeah. Norman introduced that concept to me. Um, I think you were talking about somebody playing Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, 
and it hadn't occurred to oh, me in right. this way. Me? Was no, 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 no. And remember in um, in uh, Richard Wright in uh, Before oh, yeah. the Dream. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, like you don't need to bring a lot because right, it's already right. there, right? Right. You say King, and people automatically know. You that's don't. Right. I don't it, need it to have in. you say anything. Right, the audience exactly. already fills yeah. it in. Exactly. And and the so differently, but the same with the N word. It's it. The baggage is there. It comes. Yeah. It comes preloaded, and I don't yes. need to. I don't need to lean too hard, and I don't need to add yeah. anything to it. I'm glad that you brought that up. We had Charlie Larigo on before he passed away, and he grew up in Alabama. And he told a wonderful story about how he grew up there, and his father, I guess, was a, um, a administrator at a hospital. And they had to deal with a racial situation where the townspeople expected him to be as racist as they were. Mm-hmm. And the father was like, no, I'm not going to do this, so, you know, to fire a black guy. Mm-hmm. And they were chased out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you probably hadn't dealt with all of that in Seattle because I don't imagine there's a lot of racism in Seattle. Well, there's not a lot of black people. Yeah. In Seattle. Well, you get it. I mean, there's a lot of rednecks in in Washington. God, mm. God, God, love us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm the first generation on the West Coast. We come, oh, nice. We come from the Deep South, Confederate both sides. Interesting. My great aunt was, um, you know, she carried a two inches of lynch rope in her. In her apron, right? Wow. As a souvenir, as a souvenir, yeah. And like, I can't even access that mindset. So it's so it's fascinating. But no, I've got plenty yeah, of that. But yeah, yeah. KKK members from the Civil War, you know. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess the question I have, and being a black person, it really is a sort of fascinating thing where a white person who maybe grew up around that, but for whatever reason, they are not mm-hmm. racist or mm-hmm. they don't think of things that way i mean was it sort of a protective bubble or is it something that your family members just did not No, my we were my town casually racist mm-hmm. right nobody was in the kkk you know nobody mm-hmm. was actively whatever but you know black jokes you know using yeah. that it was all fine it's normalized normalized mm-hmm. entirely i think for me what um it was probably education, college, that really, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uncoupled the normalization. Mm-hmm. Not that I was some sort of flaming racist person yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. I've but always, there was a transformation for you? In in my understanding of, okay. of what, mm-hmm. you know, I, w- I wasn't like actively participating in that in that culture. But it was like also now I fully understood why, you know, why you must be intolerant in that way mm-hmm. um, to not allow that stuff to happen. But yeah, that I came from the, I mean, here's Washington state. Like just, well, that's, I was stationed up there for a year, Tacoma. Uh, oh yeah. And, um, and I was fascinated because yes, it's white. Oh my gosh, it's white. But you call it casual racist. I would, or casual racism. I would say there was also a casual acceptance. So I rarely felt like somebody was putting me in a, even if they would acknowledge up front, hey, you're a black guy. Yeah. Um, they were still cool to me. I had no problem renting places. I was also in the military, so you uh-huh. know, military dollars. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not black. I'm green. <laughs> you know. Uh, but but even then, you know, we made friends. We socialized, and we found that people had a way. There's just a, and I think of it as a Pacific Northwest. It may be different in mm-hmm. the different regions, but I, I think you're right, and I obviously. Don't have the experience from that angle, but yeah, I, I, there weren't active structures in place to prevent right people from being who they you know from from moving around doing stuff you know. Yeah. Whereas the you know the deep seated South where the, you know things are right your side of town, inclu- our yeah, side right, of town. right. We didn't really have that. Yeah, 
No, it's it's. I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised. My wife has actually joked about moving up in that direction. I'm like. I need more sunshine than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I can do without the rain. I have, a, I have a couple of friends who've moved up. I think Michael Greeley is up there. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, well, we've hit the one-hour mark. Uh, is there anything that we haven't touched before we get into birthdays and all that sort of stuff? I mean, I'm, it sounds I'm like you're... I'm curious to know a uh-huh. little bit about where your show's at. You've got, what, one more week? Week and we're, a half? Well, two days. So tonight is oh. uh, one day, and then tomorrow we're done. Oh, I thought you had one more weekend. Crap. Nope. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, hey, you know, it is what it is, but uh, no. What time tomorrow? uh, It's a matinee, so it's two. From Mm. two to four. Okay. It's only a play, yeah, so. And yeah, that's that's been uh, interesting, Um, but I'm so happy. Uh, It's, you know, when we bring in people, you know, not only do we talk about plays, but we talk about, uh, you know, I think Judith Arthur, what she's done with, uh, compared to what, although I haven't seen, I haven't had the chance to see it, Mm -hmm. but she's... When we talk about plays, which talk about what's happening in our world, yes, you can have something about the Pullman Porters, which is, mm-hmm. I think the date is, what, 19, early 1900s? 1926. Well, 1920s. we are at 1926, but they had been fighting yeah. for that union course, for like over a, a decade. Yeah. 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 So it's not just a black history story. It's not a civil rights story. It's not even American mm-hmm. history. But it's also about the unions because, you know. The AFL yeah. was just forming around that time, and right. there were other little unions based on mm-hmm. specific groups, right. specific uh, industries. And that was, that was part of it, is that they were seeing that people were successfully forming unions. Right, exactly. And then, of course, the corporate world fighting against that because yep. they're used to charging and exploiting people as much as mm-hmm. they want to. So yep. it's not just a race story, but it's also a, a money story, yeah, and we're still in sure. the middle of the Gilded Age. So I'm so glad that Judith brought this play together Mm -hmm. to not only talk about race, but class. Yep. And it parallels a lot of what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important. I think I'm glad that the Maskers is doing this. There's a Robert Townsend did a movie 20 years ago that's Mm -hmm. now only available on YouTube to stream, but it's called 10,000 Black Men Named George. And it's a great companion piece Mm -hmm. to this play. Right. People are loving it. Yeah. It gives you a sort of the broader national context of this exact moment in time. Wow, I gotta check that out. And I yeah. love Robert Townsend. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. All right. Well, he started getting happy for about um, about telling stories he wanted to tell tell instead of doing yeah the sort of comedy, sick comedy silly things. stuff mm-hmm. that Hollywood right. wanted him to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Already, d- b- birthdays. Uh, birthdays. So I jumped the gun last week. Uh, Siobhan's birthday is today. Siobhan Doherty. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing actress, uh, wonderful casting person, and just brilliant. Uh, Juliet Tanner uh, is somebody that I've known for a long time, and we ended up in um, House on Mango Street with Word for Word over 20 years ago, and then we ended up doing that show for about four years, off and on for about four years. Um, so we've, we've been really bonded. Uh, her birthday is all t- so today, and then the rest of these are just throughout the week. Josh Pollock is a SFSU uh, alum of mine. Um, he's a musician and he's um, an actor, and um, and lately has been doing all kinds of weird hybrid projects that have been. And I say lately, I mean in the last few years, including um, Shotgun Players did a wonderful uh, piece called The Black Rider, which was Tom Waits and William S. Burroughs. A collaboration <laughs> and um, yeah and it was it was wild that was probably about probably about four or five years ago now uh, anyway um, speaking of Martin Luther King Abby Rowan's birthday is hey. coming up this week right on 
Uh, he was our, among many other things, he was our Martin Luther King when we and did before the, uh, before Richard the Wright before yeah. the dream. Uh, Trevor Allen, wonderful playwright, lives up in the North Bay, up in Vallejo. Um, strong actor, too. And, you know, I, Trevor's somebody I would like to see more of his work around. Ron Obergon, a good friend of Richard Talavera's, also very big in the, uh, there was a moment of teatro. There was a moment where there was easily about half a dozen small Latino theater companies. And we are in that era again right now. There are at least four or five that I'm aware of right now. So yeah, yeah. Maybe it's coming back. Uh, Daryl Harper. Wonderful uh, black actor who is part of Playground. That's one of the things I want to put on your plate, Tony, for um, auditions uh, next Saturday. Yeah, they're always looking for... uh, Well, next Saturday they're going to have auditions. Um, Salim Razawi, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, He's been working a lot with Plathos. Right on. He directed um, Once on this Island. Okay. Uh, But we met doing a play at the SF Playhouse, um, Water by the Spoonful. Ah, yeah, yeah, and so it was weird because we met during that, and then I got curious about Once on This Island because I was looking for black men for compared mm-hmm. to what, and right. bumped into him. I'm like, oh wait, you directed this, <laughs> and and kind of choreographed it, and I was like, oh, okay, damn. And then I think the last one I have is Andrew Jordan Nance, who is um, I always think of him as a young actor because that's how I met him. But again, that was almost two decades ago. And uh, he was working at the time and may still be working with the um, New Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. Um, so those wow. are my birthday shout-outs for the week. You can call out more birthdays in a given window than I have friends entirely. So uh, <laughs> oh, that's impressive. Go for it. Go for yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, I, I have um, Caitlin Everson. Uh, she is a, a local actress, and I'm trying to think where I work with, where I work with her. Oh, there's that train I was talking about. Uh, I want to say it was either Hedda Gobbler or um, maybe Summer Shorts. I'm not sure. But in any case, her birthday is today. Happy birthday, Caitlin. Um, a local actress, Annie Wang. Her birthday is September the 8th. That will be. Uh, that was two days ago. Uh, ben Couch. We've talked about Ben Couch. And actually, this is a picture of, I'm looking on Facebook, a picture of Ben and myself as cops. Uh. <laughs> This is during Stories High 13, mm. and uh, Ben's uh, birthday was yesterday. So happy birthday, Ben. Yeah. We had him on the yay. He was a he is a uh, gay British actor, mm-hmm. and he talked about coming to America as a uh, young gay man and having the theater sort of help him identify himself and also identify the, uh, the group of people that he wanted to be around. So yeah. that was awesome. Um, Let's see. Abby Ron, you mentioned him. Also, Rajiv. Remember Rajiv? Oh, Rajiv, yay! Rajiv's birthday is on the 16th, which is a couple of days from now. Uh, you he, got contact information for him? I'd love to talk to him. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with Rajiv, but uh, yeah, he was our set builder for Foreman in Paris. and Made uh, this amazing job. set. Yeah, huh. exactly. So, Rajiv, happy birthday to you. And yeah, so that's it. I have a short list of my own self. Uh, shows. I'm, I'm still stuck on where I was stuck. Okay. Mime Troop done. Um, compared to what, running through September 28th at the Maskers Theater up in Point Richmond. Yep. And we which one- is on a bus line. People need to know that. That's 72. Right. And the BART. It's very close to the BART, too. Well, it's not too close to BART. It's like it's farther than you'd walk. Yeah. Uh, from but I'm BART. sure there's a bu- bus line. 72. To the BART. Yeah. 72 will get you there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I. This is out a ways, but. Um, First week of October, I'm 
doing a reading with Word for Word. Uh, nice. I'll be acting with them, doing a short story called Home by George Saunders. Nice. Um, the Orenda Starlight Village Players is doing Pygmalion. Uh, September the 9th through October the 1st. Alicia Von Kugelgen is in that show. Mm -hmm. There's a link for that. Tiny Beautiful Things. Plethos, we've talked about that. They are, uh, yeah, so that'll be September the 9th through the 18th, and we have a link for that. Ferocious Lotus is doing Written in Water. It's part of their Evolution series, a series of one-act plays. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lisa Kong wrote the play Written in Water, and Alan Coyne, who is in everything, is in that. (laughs) And we have a link to that. Uh, Christmas in Oz will be done December the 1st through the 18th. We, this is very, very long mm-hmm. pr- um, Far presentation out of dates. Here, yeah. uh, Coastal Repertory Theater. I mention it because Danny Martin, and we've had him on. Yep. This is his first directing debut. Yay! So yay for Danny. There, are a couple, there have been a couple of folks who are getting into directing for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's another person. Um, uh, Stephen um, McLeod is also oh, he's, uh, wow. directing okay. for the first time, too. So. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, uh, folks who are actors who mm-hmm. want to get into directing. So that's a fascinating thing. Central Works, they're doing the Women's Annex. Um, Elizabeth Carter's directing that. Right. So that'll be October the 15th through November the 13th. Uh, we've talked about Compared to What Maskers. That's Octo- uh, that's, it started August 26th and ends September the 24th. Mm-hmm. Um, my play, It's Only a Play. Our second to last show is tonight. Our last show is tomorrow, so check that out. Mm. And we have a link for that. Lear, Cow Shakes, that is um, that just opened uh, three nights ago, right. September the 7th. It ends October the 2nd. Don Monique Williams is co-directing that show, and right. Michael Ashbery is in the show. And Belina Brown is in the show. Belina Brown is in the show. Who just directed me in the Mime Troop show. Yeah, we got to get her on. We what should. We? Yeah. Um, so we have the link for that. Theater Brava is doing Songs for Larry. Uh, that is a, uh, it long, Ari Itlong is the uh, Philippine oh. uh, person that they, the show is based on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a workshop of a new musical that will be only one day only. That's October was the he, 2nd. I, he was an activist. Yes, he was. He was yeah. an activist. <clears throat> so Mal, Melvin Badiola is producing that Yay, show. Yay, no. <laughs> so we have a link for that. San Jose Stage is doing The Play That Goes Wrong. Uh, that'll be September the 21st through October the 16th. John Tracy is directing it. Mm-hmm. Michael Barrett Austin and Cassidy Jamal Brown is in the play. So check that out. The Hill Barn Theater is doing Gypsy September the 8th through the 25th. Melissa Bombuis, she's been on the A and so she's in the play. So check that out. We have a link for that. Shotgun Players is doing Man of God. That's uh, It opened September the 3rd. That was last week. And it ends October the 2nd. Sharon Shaw. Chuck Laxon, Lauren Garcia, a couple of uh, ex-Bendle Stiffers are in the show. Mm. And we had a uh, stage manager. I was ashamed that you couldn't be around when we did the yay for that. Hyung Ji Kim, it was a, assistant, uh, she's a stage manager who talked about her experience as a stage manager. And she is assistant stage managing this show, Man of God. Ah, nice. Camelot is being played at the Contra Costa Civic Theater. Jamie Strube is in that show. Uh, Jamie Strube was last in, uh, she was in a show with Kim Donovan. I'm trying to think. It was um, Stage Kiss. Oh, so okay. now she is in Camelot. Uh, mm-hmm. That's September the 9th through October the 9th, so check that out. Such a fun play. Yeah. Follies is being played at the San Francisco Playhouse. It ends tonight. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's got to be, they've got to be at the end of their room. Exactly. So Echo Yamamoto is in that. So uh, if you listen to it, I think we'll, uh, our, you should be listening to this at four, so you still have enough time to see it if mm-hmm. you want to. And lastly, I will talk about Stephen McLeod having his directing debut. That is The Spelling Bee. 
the Contra oh, Costa Music Theater. Nice. That'll be November the 4th through the 20th, so check that out. Mm-hmm. Barry Graves, um, he, is, he has a podcast, The Black Man's Heart, so check that out. Mallory Samara, we've talked about her. Uh, she has a day job, KCBS Radio. Mm-hmm. So check out her podcast, Connect the Dots, a weekly news podcast for WCBS News Radio. And also, Bindlestiff Studio has a podcast called The Fobcast, exploring Philippine-American immigrant stories. So check that out. Yay! Last but not least, jerseys. We have jerseys. Uh, they're $30. Uh, we're on back order for the black jerseys, say, the white black, jerseys. Black jerseys coming. <laughs> they are coming. And, What's that uh, about, man? You got the white jerseys, but you ain't got no black jerseys. Yeah, I know. Well, hey, that's because they're so popular. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I had Once you go it. black. I know you can't go back. So, uh, But we'll have them. Maybe I'm, I'm sorry. Thinking, we are wrong. We are so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but we're so happy to uh, have folks supporting uh, the A, supporting black, uh, supporting theater. Uh, so they're $30. So you can Venmo me. Or um, just hit me up uh, via uh, Instagram or Twitter if you want uh, a shirt. So let me know. Um, that is it. Uh, Tony, did you enjoy yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. One, one note to people who yes, are yes. curious about the theater and think they could never do it or don't know how. There's a ton of theater in the Bay Area. Yep. And there are doorways in. So just get out there and do it because you can. Yeah, Yay! absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't be afraid. You may not have a resume. You may not have a headshot. You know, there are lots of theaters who, who have open doors. and Like I said, you don't know what they're looking for, so you may as well, you know, strut your stuff and see. That's yeah. exactly right. And there are a lot of folks, just to piggyback on that, who started late in their careers. Samuel yep. L. Jackson, uh, I think, was in his 40s mm-hmm. when he did regional theater, and then Spike Lee, uh, you know, discovered him. Right. And he did a bunch of, you know, Spike Lee flicks. Yep. And all of a sudden, Jungle Fever dropped up, and then Quentin Tarantino Bam. discovered him. Mm-hmm. And several movies and millions of dollars <laughs> later, <laughs> right. he's one of the most popular. So, you yeah, know, that's right. just one of many success stories. So it's never too late. All right. We are on all podcasts after on Spotify. We're on Overcast. We're on SoundCloud. So if you're an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app. Or if you're an Apple user, you can use that purple podcast app. We're on there. <laughs> The A was created by theater people, for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. Our Twitter feed is the A3. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. Tony, is there a place where people can find you um, Mm, socially? That's no. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Do you have a website or whatever? Well, uh, maybe we can put a link up to my uh, Theater Bay Area uh, profile. Oh, you got one on Theater Bay Area? Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, TBA? Yeah. Mm Oh, right on. Yeah, let's promote TBA. That would be great. Okay, so they go on TBA.com and just do a search for you? I, maybe so. Okay. I think that I'll might work. right now. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking for a budding actor, I'm not going to say a young actor, mm-hmm. but, you know, a... Uh, a Characters you know, come in all uh, ages. Absolutely. You can't go wrong with Tony. So that is it. Excuse me. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful Saturday afternoon. Enjoy yourselves. And as Norman and I always say... You we gotta, gotta find, find a, a better, better sign off. off. And we <laughs> are out. <laughs>